Hello, this is Dr. Anya Rostomian, and today we'll be mapping pharmacogenomics on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important, not only because it invites us to stop and assess but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Ani Rastomayan. Dr. Ani Rastomayan is a doctor of pharmacy, holistic pharmacist, and functional medicine practitioner who specializes in diabetes management, pharmacogenomics, and nutrigenomic consulting. Dr. Ani discovered her calling in precision medicine and is the founder of SheAni, Inc., a concierge consulting company focused on pharmacogenomic and nutrigenomic functional and holistic ways of improving overall health and well-being. Dr. Ani is on a mission to empower forward-thinking healthcare providers, nutritionists, and wellness practitioners to incorporate nutrigenomics into their practice to amplify their client results and increase their revenue. Hello, Dr. Ani. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi, Andrea. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I am super excited to speak about pharmacogenomics with you because it really does drive home our understanding that there is no one size fits all, which is one of my favorite conversations. Can you start us off, Dr. Ani, by speaking into what pharmacogenomics is? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite topics and uh, very recent years, it has become my passion and my consultancy as a clinical pharmacist, you know, I was always questioning why is it that some of my patients were not responding to the same medication same way. The field is developing so fast and new studies come along so often. And now it's a cutting edge science what actually studies the interrelation between our genes and drug response. So we are largely the same human species. We're largely the same, but 99% of our genome it could be the same, but 1% of that region that is really responsible for drug response, we're all unique in the sense of how we metabolize medications. And pharmacogenomics is actually a field that's giving a promise to give answers to so many unanswered questions to patients who do not respond to life-saving medications. Dr. Ani, there's so many questions I have for you based on that description. And I'm wondering, as we speak about pharmacogenomics, which factors are we seeing have the biggest impact on the reaction? Is it based on gender or age? Are there other factors that we're seeing crop up quite a bit that help to inform us as practitioners about the correct medications for the particular patient? 
So here's what's been happening. After completion of Human Genome Project, which was the largest biological project of all time, it started in 1990. And in 2003, we have the human genome mapped out. And scientists have been questioning why is it that some people respond to certain medications in a slower way, faster way, or normal. We knew that there's something different among us. When, you know, genetic polymorphisms exist, you know, that 2% of non-coding region that are responsible for, you know, drug response. And more and more studies show that it's everything. We're unique in the sense uh, to respond to certain medication in a better way or worse way that it will, you know, work for us or it wouldn't work for us. So age, gender, current, you know, health status, current medications or kidney function. And now genetics is added to that mix. So we're becoming even more unique. And in the sense that sometimes drug trials do not give a full answer to how would that subpopulation respond to certain medication that's involved and implied in drug gene implication. But genetics now is a big part of it. And we cannot just deny the fact that, yes, we're largely the same, but we're absolutely different in our genomics. And medications are foreign substances that are given to our bodies expecting a response based on studies and mechanism of action. But there's much more to it. And I think pharmacogenomics answers that question is, why is it some medications are not giving the treatment effect that doctors are waiting for? And are there certain medications that are showing up as, you know, really working with this approach better? I know there is more research into the realm of pharmacogenomics in relation to mental health-related drugs. What are we seeing in the drug categories that's been most illuminating? You know, the biggest level of evidence to this day is oncology. And there are many research institutions and actually cancer hospitals that absolutely utilize pharmacogenomics before any treatment because it's so unique to that specific patient's cancer type, medication use, and age, and everything. The second level of evidence is, and you're absolutely right, it's psychiatry where the gene and drug interplay is pretty much like 70 or more percent of the drug effect is relied upon that personal genetic picture of that patient. And I speak to a lot of psychiatrists, actually, we discuss pharmacogenomics, and they say nine out of 10 times when we prescribe certain you know, medication for psychiatry for mental health purposes, we tell our patients that this is just a trial. So we will try and see if this medicine works for you. And that gives me the second question to them. But wouldn't you want to know beforehand what doesn't work for your patient? Because the patient is already in suffering stage when they reach out to you for mental health. Why would you want to have them try something that may not work for them? So preemptive medicine comes to place when there's pretty much good amount of data showing that there's many enzymes that are involved in metabolism of SSRI, let's say SSRI specifically, largely prescribed for a variety of mental health conditions. But physicians agree with us, but then there come other, you know, barriers to implementation of pharmacogenomics in, you know, primary care or mental health. So we're working towards that, becoming patient advocates for this to be utilized in a larger sense. 
Yeah, what I hear you talking about with that original use case of oncology, that's, of course, the realm of precision medicine. And in that scenario, we're looking at the genetic makeup of the cancer cells versus the person, or are we looking at both? It's both. And actually, if the medication carries data to be very much inter, you know, related to that specific gene for metabolism. And a lot of times in oncology, although that might not be my specialty in pharmacogenomics, but I know that, you know, oncologists are mainly trying to avoid adverse effects because patients are already in the stages of suffering and added to that picture of toxicity from a medication that's not metabolized by their body. Imagine what could come out of that. And we've had cases where patients have not responded or responded in a really bad way to certain medications and patients have become advocates for pharmacogenomics saying that I don't want another patient to go through this. So let's utilize it in oncology specifically. You're using some words that I really want to anchor on. One of them is suffering and the other is advocacy. So when I think about suffering and the use case you were talking about with the drugs related to psychological states, we're looking at people who may be also losing hope and yet we're kind of in a trial or error, does this work, does this not work, when what I hear you saying is we could actually discover what might not work and move into it with a different knowledge base from the get-go. Do I have that right? Absolutely. When Human Genome Project was completed, now I know that there's beyond Human Genome Project studies going on. And the biggest you know issue they're trying to resolve is how to reduce patient harm, how to transform the preventable adverse drug events to predict it before it happens. Because truly, it's $30 billion cost to U.S. healthcare, preventable adverse drug events. And with pharmacist advocacy, March 24th was designated as an adverse drug event day to advocate for those patients who suffered unnecessary harm. Pharmacogenomic testing can answer some of those questions and eliminate at least the medications that may definitely not work for the patient. When you talk about the testing, can you just give us an idea of the how and who has access to this kind of testing? So there are many genetic labs in the United States and Canada. And I want to mention also that in Europe, this has become part of uh, national healthcare many years ago. In UK specifically, in there's another group in um, Netherlands, Dutch Pharmacogenomics Working Group. So I don't want to say that the United States is a little behind, but the fact <laughs> is that we actually are far mm-hmm. behind what's happening in the world in that sense. And we're, this is not part of our healthcare, our standard of care. So pharmacogenomic testing is provided and recommended, first of all, from certified consultants and specialists or someone who's knowledgeable to interpret the report. And this is a saliva test that's done super easily and interpreted in those high quality labs. And we get, as pharmacogenomics pharmacists, we get the report and we try to explain to our patients in a patient-friendly, you know, verbiage, explaining to them, oh, this may not work for you. This may work for you. And after that, create a one-page summary for the physician and say, this is what the genomic report is suggesting. So 
in a lot of cases, not that we're questioning the pharmacotherapy, and this is kind of an, an error report saying that this should have not been prescribed, but sometimes it also enhances physicians' therapy. It enforces what was already started. And physicians really rely on pharmacists who have the pharmacogenomics knowledge because they truly don't have the means and time to address the 40-page reports and explain and spend the time with patients. So there we come as pharmacists who are passionate about pharmacogenomics, which is sometimes we call pharmacology on steroids, uh, <laughs> basically very, very precise way of prescribing. And precision medicine, I feel like just such a promising field. In a few years, we will truly have this as standard of care where we're working towards that. Yeah. Fingers crossed, right? Fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah. There's some adherence to it and then there's some uphill battles. Can you bring us through, Dr. Ani, one scenario where you saw in your own practice the need for a change from where things were headed? Absolutely. And this goes to a field that is also developing very promising ways towards pharmacogenomics, it's cardiology. So there are several medications that are also included in a list of pharmacogenomic implications. One of them are statins, medications that are used for hyperlipidemia. They're largely prescribed to reduce cardiovascular risk, but a lot of physicians are warning their patients that you may experience muscle pain, just in a patient-friendly manner of saying muscle pain, stiffness, if you ex experience you know, severe tiredness, which is kind of the precursor of rhabdomyolysis, which we're pretty much dreading from happening with our patients. There seems to be a drug transporter called SLC-01B1, and people who carry that star-5 allele are actually not able to excrete the medication from their system in a timely manner. So medication accumulates in the blood above 10 times higher than upper you know, normal limit and patients experience severe, severe muscle cramps. And physicians now know that this was due to their genetics. Not everyone will respond to statins in this adverse manner, but people now are aware, oh, maybe I'm, I wouldn't respond to this statin medication because of me being the carrier for that specific allele. So now we're informed. Now we can tell the cardiologist physician saying, how about we test patients before we initiate statins? That's a really great scenario there to show us what can happen. And your specialty is in working with diabetes management. Are there also use cases in diabetes care? Absolutely. And actually it's, pretty fastly evolving field in that specifically diabetes and understanding the predisposition to diabetes. There's just precision medicine is very promising in chronic disease field as well. Some medicines, let's say sulfonylurea is one of the oldest, you know, prescribing group of diabetes medications. They're related to our genetics. And some people even may use sulfonylurea to work within type one diabetes based on their genetics. So Chronic disease management largely is, yes, it's a lifestyle modification, lifestyle changes, but also looking to their genetics to see if people are actually responding to specific medications for diabetes and also reducing cardiovascular risk. So I feel like chronic disease stayed one of my passions, gives us so much promise on do I have the genetic predisposition to develop it and later on in my life? And 
when I started doing pharmacogenomics testing, I got also very empowered by nutrigenomics, where we identify genes that some people carry genes for weight gain or you know lipid metabolism. That comes to this picture of how much precise can we go with our care in the future? That's very empowering for me as a pharmacist. So medications are not the only answer. There's many things we can do you know, for our patients to improve outcomes. That's my biggest goal. Yeah. And Dr. Ani, there are, I will admit, some uses of genetics and genomic information that I think are being used inappropriately by clinicians. What you're talking about is an appropriate use in the right hands, as you said, somebody who can interpret and make recommendations based on that interpretation from their scope of practice and area of expertise. What can we all do? as clinicians to support the advocacy that you're speaking about and the work that you're doing? How can we help the cause? I think a number one thing I always, uh, when we speak in our groups, you know, like-minded professionals is never make a recommendation based on one SNP, single nucleotide polymorphism, one genetic variation Never, ever consider monogenic reports for altering that patient's treatment plan or dietary plan, which would be unlikely to have a benefit for the patient. So look at the bigger picture, look at the polygenic reports, look at to see what patient will actually benefit. Sometimes those variations are minor, you know, we're not required to make dramatic changes in their therapeutic regimen just because of a slight variation in one of the genes that are responsible for nutrient or drug metabolism. And then the matrix, really, I just love the layout of a matrix that all factors are considered. And genetics is one of them. Genetics is not the only one to tailor your you know, recommendations to that patient's regimen. Because at the end of the day, if the regimen was working before and patient hasn't experienced much complex you know, side effects, adverse effects, and if it has been working, genetics is something to keep in mind, not to make recommendations based upon, oh, you carry this gene, now we're going to change everything about your, you know, treatment or nutrition or, and then that was a great question for me to also address, never rely on only genomic reports to alter that patient's everything, you know, treatment plan, you know, recommendations. Yeah, yeah, so brilliantly spoken into that it's all the things I always like to say. The mantra of this podcast is everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. And the pharmacogenomics, especially in the hands of a pharmacist, do absolutely matter. And we're taking into account the entirety of the individual, which is what precision medicine is truly about. So I love how you spoke into that, Dr. Ani. Anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I did, that you really just want to shout from the rooftops? As a patient advocate, as an avid believer that food is medicine, I want to give a shout out to you and your program and give you so much credit for teaching and empowering healthcare practitioners, wellness practitioners to empower our patients to make those life-changing modifications in their life based on utilizing what we have, you know, superfoods, right? 
or um, lifestyle changes. A lot of times when we give medications to our patients immediately for chronic disease conditions, our patients become powerless. They think that they cannot make the change on their own and the medication is given as punishment. So my biggest mission is to empower the patient and say, you are in charge of your health. There's so much you can do with right nutrition and lifestyle. You can change your life with that. And medications are one of the tools that we can help you with. So educating our patients in terms of you can heal your life. And one man's superfood can be someone's toxin. So learn what is good for you based on your own personal health status or your own genetics. But also give patients hope that there's not a way only of dealing with the situations only with medications. That's my mission. As a pharmacist, I'm pretty much empowered to tell people that this is not only about medications. Your body has innate power to heal and you know, recover from illnesses, injuries, use that power. That's the message. I love that, Dr. Ani. It makes me so happy to hear you say that because it swings both ways. We see patients with chronic conditions that A, are either hell-bent on doing it without medication and not getting the support that their body needs, or they feel like they had to go on medication and they're punishing themselves for it, or they just rely on the medication to fix and think that they're not going to have to do the other work. And so what you're speaking about and the partnership and and all the work coming together really just speaks to my soul. So thank you so much for sharing that and sharing all your wisdom and the work that you do is incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.